How you guys doing? You guys alive? Need to shake it out a little bit? Shake it out? What? Okay. Seriously. Okay. Here's the deal. Y'all, I didn't hear nearly enough hype for Fall Retreat, and I think it's because you don't understand what's going to happen at Fall Retreat. So I'm going to give you a sneak peek, all right? You guys, you guys tracking with me? This is insider knowledge. I shouldn't even be sharing this. Uh, sumo wrestling. Yeah. Uh, staff freestyle rap. Brisket mac and cheese. And what we are calling Color Wars, where you will be assigned to a team, and if you have a lick of comp uh, competitive nature in you, it's the opportunity for you to destroy other people, okay? And win with your team. Sound good? Okay. Think about this. 65 bucks, you're going to get two nights lodging, you're going to get four meals, you're going to have the time of your life. And you're going to look back and you're going to be like, what were we doing? And to that, I'm going to say, I don't know. We didn't think a lot, but we had a lot of fun, all right? I promise you, you're going to have the time of your life. And so go register. Seriously, register tonight, 65 bucks. And I want to say this. I know that some of you are in sports. I know that some of you maybe have a non-negotiable work schedule. If you can come for any of it, right? It goes Friday evening through Sunday morning. If you say, hey, there is absolutely no way I can get Friday off because I have practice, competition, uh, come just for Saturday or come the last half of Saturday and Sunday. If you can only come for part of it, go register and talk to us and we will work with you on price. We're not going to make you pay full price if you're only there for half the weekend, but we want you to be there because we think it's going to be worth your time. Sound good? All right, don't let money get in the way either. If you're sitting here and you're like, yo, I don't have 65 bucks, I get it. You're a broke college student. Been there before. Now I'm a broke non-college student, right? Don't let money get in the way. Uh, talk to us. We have an entire church of people that love college students and want you to have the time of your life. And we have people that have literally come up to me on Sunday and said, hey, do you have any students that can't pay for fall retreat? I want to pay for them. So... With that, don't let money be an issue if money's an issue. Got that? Man, you guys are alive. This is, this is good. All right. We are starting a parable series. You can put the graphic up. Life-changing lessons from the parables. So how many of you have heard the word parable before? A few of you. Most of you. Okay. If you've grown up in and around the church, you've heard the word parable. If you haven't grown up in and around the church, you probably haven't heard it because we don't use the word parable in common day language. So I'm going to just tell you what a parable is. Simply defined, it is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. So Jesus would teach in parables often. He would tell an earthly story to, to give a heavenly meaning. So what he was not simply doing was telling stories. Although Jesus was probably the best storyteller ever, right? If you could go sit by a campfire right now and Jesus could tell you some stories, he'd be like, yeah, so this one time I turned water into wine. No big deal. <laughs> like, you would be eating it up. But he didn't just want to tell us stories, and he didn't just want to tell us stories to make us moral. He wanted to tell us stories to change our life. That's why it's life-changing lessons from the parable. It's not just lessons from the parable, because parables unlock this kingdom reality. It's meant to open our eyes, our minds, our hearts to this idea of the kingdom of God 
brought near to ordinary people like you and like me. That's a big deal. And so we see that parables are an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, but not everybody experienced parables the same way. So there's this unique thing that comes with parables, and it's twofold, all right? If you were someone that, who was actually seeking Jesus, and you wanted to learn more about your faith, and you wanted to learn more about who he was, parables to you made sense. To a person walking in the doors that says, I have a receptive heart, I want to learn about faith, I want to learn about Jesus, parables made sense to you. But to the people that were skeptics, and in this day and age, it was the religious hypocrites, parables made no sense. They were actually told in such a way that if you wanted to learn about Jesus, it made sense about you, it made sense to you. And if you didn't care to learn about Jesus, you just wanted to argue and be a skeptic, it made no sense to you at all. So parables reveal the realities of God to a heart that is receptive, but they hide the realities of God to a heart that is disinterested. It's pretty phenomenal. And so the question that I ask you is like, where are you at in your faith when you come in tonight? Like, if you're about to hear a parable, are you coming in with a receptive heart, or are you already coming in just like, I'm a skeptic? Because that's something we got to figure out, and that's something we will figure out by the end of this. But beyond where are you at in your faith, I want to ask you the question, what do you put your faith in? What do you put your faith in? Because I think everybody in this room puts their faith in something. For me, I've seen this go wrong countless times. I'm a Cyclone fan. Any other Cyclone fans in here? Yeah, how's that been working for us? You put your faith in that Cyclone football team, right? Uh, a couple years ago, I made a bet with a buddy, and I said, no doubt Cyclones are having a 10-win season. It's happening. This is the year. Guess what? Nine wins. I had to pay up. It didn't work out for me. Don't put your faith in the Cyclone football team. They're going to let you down, all right? But you guys remember a few weeks ago, I can't believe I'm about to tell this story. You guys remember a few weeks ago when I started and just said, hey, I just want you guys to know I'm not feeling well. Anybody tracking with me on this? Okay, here's what happened later that night. I'm going to let you in, okay? This is recorded, so it's going to go on the internet. Just please, please respect me in this. I'm telling you in confidence, even though it's going on the internet. Here's what happens. I put my confidence in myself. I'm a 29-year-old man who is potty trained, right? Yeah, yeah, this is where this is going. Um, I got home, I felt super warm, and I was like, you know what? I'm gonna go to bed. I slept in my underwear, okay? We're not gonna paint a picture you don't need to know. But I slept in my underwear, I didn't have shorts or pants on, just slept in my underwear, and I woke up in the morning uh, to a bit of an issue, all right? Uh, I, got, I was sick in the night, and I got woke up by my wife, and she said, hey, you need to watch the boys. You need to take care of them. I have a work meeting. So I'm taking care of my boys. And I'm like, man, which one of you guys pooped? So I check the first. I check his diaper. Nothing in it. I check the second diaper. Nothing in it. And then I have this reality where I go, it's me. <laughs> it's me. I put my faith in myself to say, oh, surely nothing's going to happen. And uh, yeah, the reality is I pooped the bed. So shame on me. I put my faith in myself. Uh, and hopefully you have had better luck with your sports team and with your shorts uh, than I have, but I seriously want you to ask, what are you putting your faith in? 
Like when you walk in these doors, what are you putting your faith in? For some of you, you are putting your faith in science, all right? For some of you, you're putting your faith in science. You come in and you have incredible faith. I want you to know that you have incredible faith. If you would look at creation and you would say, I don't believe in a God. I believe that all of this evolved out of nowhere. You have incredible faith. In fact, a greater amount of faith than I do than to believe in a creator God. To say, this all just happened. That takes a crazy amount of faith. That 724 trillion cells in your body would work together perfectly as a result of evolution over time. That takes great faith. For some of you in this room, you put faith in yourself. You trust that you can work harder, meditate more, and earn everything that life has for you. You are in control of your own destiny, and nothing or nobody is going to stop you from getting it. But that also requires great faith. Because if you know anything about yourself, you know that you're jacked up, you're weak, you make mistakes, life happens, cancer diagnoses happen, things get in the way. So to put faith in yourself is great faith. For some of you, you put faith in humanity. Anybody? Probably not, okay? Um, but I talked about it last week. It's like, hey, we're Gen Z. We can turn this thing around. We're going to change the world. We're going to end hate. We're going to end poverty. We're going to end racism. And you put faith in your own generation to say, man, we can fix this thing. This generation, we can fix this thing. And I'm telling you, that requires incredible faith if you do anything with the news. If you see any headlines, any articles to say, oh, humanity is going to fix this thing, that requires great faith. And if you're walking in this room, I assume for many of you, you put your faith in God. Okay? You believe that there is a higher power. You believe that he is in control. And you believe that one day when it's all said and over, he's going to work everything out. Right? So, all of that to be said, we all have faith. We all have faith in something. But the church would tell you that we are saved by faith. We are saved by faith. And so, this question is, saved from what? And it's this reality that one day when we die, we're going to stand before God. And to be saved means that we actually get to experience life with him forever. We're not separated. We're not experiencing this eternal judgment to be separated from a holy God. No, we get to spend forever with him. That's what it means to be saved. And so I want you to know this, okay? Everybody in this room, 100% of you, you will die. And 100% of you in this room have faith, okay? The question is, do you have saving faith? Do you have saving faith? Meaning when you die and you stand before God, will he look at your faith and say, that is faith that saves you? That's where we're going tonight. We're looking at Matthew 13. So if you have a Bible, feel free to flip there. Uh, we're obviously going to learn about a parable. The book of Matthew is written by? Matthew. Matthew. Sweet. Matthew uh, is writing a life account of Jesus and his teachings. Anybody know Matthew's former occupation? He was a tax collector. That dude was a scumbag, right? He worked for the Roman government, which who here loves paying taxes? Anybody? No. 
But in the Roman Empire, the Roman Empire was oppressive to the Jewish people. And tax collectors were not only supporting their oppressors, they were most often stealing from their own people. They were scumbags. But the sweet thing is, Matthew goes from a scumbag tax collector to a follower of Jesus who gets to write the pages of Scripture through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's amazing. It's a big deal. And he writes here in Matthew 13 to give us an inside look of what it looks like to have saving faith. How you can actually know you have saving faith. So we're in Matthew 13. I'm just going to catch you up. Jesus is chilling on a beach. Who here wants to be chilling on a beach? Me. Definitely. I just booked flights to Fort Lauderdale in December. You can be jealous. But Jesus is chilling on a beach. And per usual, crowds are gathering around him. And so he begins to teach. Verse 3. And he, Jesus, told them, the crowds, many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil, but when the sun rose, they were scorched. And since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. Who here has ears? Yes, let's go. Y'all have ears, okay? But what Jesus is trying to say is not just physical ears. How many of you are going to hear this kingdom reality that he's trying to speak to your heart? And the, the scary thing is, of these crowds, there were many people who heard Jesus teach this, and they had no idea what he meant. Because they wanted nothing to do with Jesus. They were trying to check a religious box. They were trying to walk in the doors of Salt Company to say, I did my religious duty this week. And they didn't understand a thing. But the sweet thing for me tonight as a preacher is I don't have to sit here and explain super hard what's going on because Jesus does that himself in this text. So in verses 10 through 17, Jesus is trying to explain what I've already told you. The purpose of parables is this. If you're receptive, you're going to know what it means. If you have a hard heart and you are a skeptic, you're going to be left with a mystery. So we pick up again where Jesus is explaining this parable to his disciples, a group of men who have said, Jesus, we want to learn everything you have to teach us. So read with me verse 18. We're going to read 18 and 19. Hear then the parable of the sower, Jesus talking to his disciples. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. Okay, the first soil is a hard heart. The soil is the state of your heart. The state of the soil is the state of your heart. And what Jesus is saying here is the gospel is proclaimed, the good news of Jesus is proclaimed, and no matter how many times you share the gospel, no matter how much seed is scattered, no matter how many answers the Bible gives you, 
you don't believe. You have a hard heart. It's like seeds being scattered on pavement and nothing can grow there. And as I've studied this, I think the thing that's important to point out is the soil is your heart, not your head. Okay? You guys tracking with me here? The soil is your heart, not your head. Behind every head argument against Jesus is a heart issue that does not want to accept him for who he is. And I've had countless conversations with college students who say, I can't follow Jesus because I can't make sense of my science textbooks. And I'm here to tell you, if God could fit inside a logical box, he would be a small God that is not worthy of your worship. Our God surpasses the ability to fully comprehend, but I'm going to go back to this. If you have faith in science, your faith is more outrageous than mine in a kind of impressive way. To say, I'm going to put my faith in a mathematical impossibility rather than saying, I believe that there is a creator God and that we all were created by him. Or to put your faith in changing data. Science is changing all the time. First Pluto's a planet, now what is it, a rock? I don't know. Data changes all the time. Science itself is evolving. And so to say, I'm going to put my faith in changing data, or you can say, I'm going to put my faith in the word of God that has not changed for thousands of years. I truly believe if you come in and you say, I can't believe this Jesus. I am less interested in having a logical argument with you, and I'm more interested in figuring out what's going on in your heart. What's going on in your life? Because it sounds like you have a hard heart and you have areas of your life that you just don't want to let Jesus into. So the first soil, hard heart. Nothing's happening there. No receptiveness to the gospel. And for, I'm sure, most of you in this room, you'd say, that doesn't sound like me. Maybe one of the next ones resonates. Verse 20. As for what was sown on rocky ground... This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. This is a shallow heart. A shallow heart. Meaning, the gospel gets shared to you, and initially you say, This is amazing. This is great news. Jesus came to save me. Praise God. But then you figure out following Jesus is hard. You follow a king that was crucified. This king that you follow, he's going to tell you, if you want to follow me, pick up your cross, die to yourself daily and follow me. Meaning it's going to come with persecution and challenges you are not promised an easy life. And this shallow heart says, I'm going to follow Jesus as long as he's comfy. But as soon as trials come, as soon as hard things get thrown your way, you say, no thanks. And part of the issue, I think, is the person that's responding. But if you're a Christian in this room, hear me right now. Okay, look at me. If you call yourself a Christian, when you share the gospel on your campus, to your friends, to your family members, you must present the cost of following Jesus, okay? 
You cannot only sell the good things of Jesus saying, he came to save you from your sin. You also must say, he might cost you everything. He might cost you all of your selfish selfish ambitions. He might cost you your dreams. But I'm going to tell you, he's worth it. We have to tell people the cost of following Jesus because it is great and trials are going to come. But Jesus is worth it. And if we don't believe that, we are this shallow heart. We're going to follow Jesus while he's comfy. But the next soil, verse 22, I'm going to read, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. A crowded heart. Okay, I think this is what poses the greatest threat amongst your generation. A crowded heart. A heart that says, you know what? Jesus is an important part of my life, but that's all he is. He's a part of your life. Jesus is a tag on to everything else you're doing. You follow Jesus until something else comes along. And in the short term, you know, this is like, I like Jesus. He fits neatly into my schedule on Thursday nights and Sunday mornings. But, you know, I can compartmentalize them. When, when better things come along, like time with my boyfriend or girlfriend, my homework, earning an income, or scrolling through TikTok for two hours, right? Like all those better things that you're doing. Yeah, Jesus can come just after that. And what this does in the short term, it prepares you for the long term. And statistics tell me that nearly 80% of you, by the time you're 29 years old, you will be disengaged in the faith. Meaning you will be so distracted by the things of this world, whether that be your career, your family, your kids, saving money to retire. Those things are going to compete with Jesus and the scary reality is you're going to give Jesus up for other things. That's an issue. This crowded heart poses a huge threat to you. And my challenge to you is to say, you have more time right now than you will have for the rest of your life. And you get the opportunity to put your stake in the ground and say, Jesus is going to get my full devotion right now so that when I get busier, when the other cares and distractions of this world come up, I have the non-negotiable of Jesus Christ in my life. And this is what this last soil is all about. Verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another 30. This is the fruitful heart. The heart that says yes to Jesus and not just for a little bit and not just when he's comfortable and not just when he fits neatly into your schedule. This is a heart that looks at this God man, this God who steps down from the throne of heaven and dies on a cross and rises again and appears to hundreds and says, Do you believe me? 
Do you believe that I'm for you? Do you believe that I have power? Do you believe that I offer you all that you could ever want in life? Follow me. Follow me. And for you, if you have a fruitful heart, you say, man, I am going to dig my roots deep down into Jesus Christ. I am going to dig deep down. He is going to be my source of strength and stability. And no matter what trials come my way, no matter what the diagnosis is, no matter what things come up and compete for my attention, Jesus is king. If he could die for me, if he could rise again and show power over the grave, all I can do is live for him. Jesus is king. And so we see the first three soils are actually held in a stark contrast to the last one. Only the last soil is shown to be a faith that saves. The first three are all non-saving faith. To say, I'm going to follow Jesus just for a little bit. I'm going to say yes while he's comfortable. I'm going to say yes until other things come up. That is not saying yes to Jesus in a way that saves you. Saving faith as we see in this text, saving faith bears fruit and lasts forever. Saving faith bears fruit and lasts forever, meaning it's actually going to change the way you live. This is not just an exciting experience. You will leave this place and you will say, I no longer desire to live for myself. I desire to live for King Jesus. And guess what? Nothing's going to stop you. That doesn't mean hard times won't come. That doesn't mean your faith won't waver. It means that when you die, whether that be a week from now or 70 years from now, on your deathbed, you will say, I was clinging to Jesus because he was clinging to me. That is saving faith, a faith that perseveres, a faith that has deep roots and from those deep roots bears incredible fruit in your life. But I find this pretty interesting. Do you guys know how a seed grows? You guys know how a seed grows? What do you do with it? You put it in the ground. And a seed has to die before it, before it brings life. John 12, 24, Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Here's what he's doing. He's telling his disciples, that's me. Jesus is the gospel seed. He is the seed that is buried. He is the seed that dies. And in his resurrection, he says, look at the harvest. Look at the life you can have in me. And so the sweet thing is, all of us here in this room, we all have access to this gospel seed of Jesus Christ. If you look at the sower in Matthew 13, look how generous he is with gospel seed. He doesn't just sit around and wait for you to become good soil. He is sowing seed everywhere. And there are people in this room tonight that I know, hands down, you're the pavement. You got a hard heart, and guess what? You're here. God was faithful to say, I'm going to put you in a place that you can be once again invited into the family of God. You get to hear the good news of Jesus Christ that you don't have to live for yourself. As Jesus continues in John 12, he says this reality. 
if you understand who I am, that I died so that you could have life, you then will die to yourself and become alive in me. And the seed is scattered everywhere. And so, company, we, we need to know this, okay? No matter what the state of your heart is, I don't care how good of a person you are, I don't care how many times your mom or your dad have said, you have such a good heart. I don't care how good you are. If you are the best soil in the world and you have no gospel seed, you're bearing no fruit. You need Jesus to bear fruit in your life. I don't care how good of a person you are and I don't care how bad of a person you are. Because Jesus took a dude like Matthew who was a chump, a cheater, a thief. And what did he do? He made him good soil. That's what God can do to you tonight. And so, as we think about application, the first thing that I want you to do is ask this question. What is the state of my soil? Or like, what is the state of my heart? And maybe it's better to diagnose that by saying, is there any fruit in my life? Is there any fruit in my life? If you read the earlier chapters of Matthew, Jesus oftentimes talks about fruit as the fruit of repentance, which means, do you desire to turn away from sin? Do you desire to follow God? If you continue reading in Scripture, Paul talks to us about the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, are those evident in your life? And if not, it's time to diagnose where you're at. For some people in this room, you said pass. Nope, not for me, no thanks. No wonder there's no fruit in your life. For some of you in this room, you say, yes, I want to follow Jesus until problems come up. Until you see the cost. Then Jesus isn't worth it to you because he's too costly. And for some in this room, you say yes until something else comes up. It's a priority issue. The thorns are choking you out. There's no fruit in your life because you're so caught up in everything else this world has to offer you. And for all three of those soils, the only application I have for you is pray. (laughs) Pray. Because you can't change your soil. God has to change your soil. For you to pray, God, would you change my heart? Would you take this hard, stubborn, distracted heart and would you make it good soil? And if you have good soil, if you have this fruitful heart that has said yes to Jesus, your only response is to praise. Praise God. Praise God. Because you didn't make yourself good soil. He made you good soil. For you to praise him, and not just today, not just tonight when we bring out the worship set, for you to day after day praise God. The only way that we get to bear fruit, John 15, is to stay connected to the vine. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and unless you abide in me and I abide in you, you can do nothing. But as you are connected to the vine, as you stay connected to God, as you abide in him, as you enjoy time in his word, as you enjoy time in community, as you worship, you get to bear fruit in your life. And from that place, you guys, two things are going to happen, all right? 
The first, you will become fruitful followers of Jesus. You will become fruitful followers of Jesus. Your life will be characterized by the fruit of the Spirit. When people look at you, they will see this type of person that is full of love and patience and self-control like they've never seen before. And you will begin to experience life the way it was designed to be. You get to flourish as you follow King Jesus. But that's not all, okay? To be a fruitful follower is one thing, but God then invites you. I talked about this last week. He invites you to be a faithful sower. It's kind of cool that he then, you have grown up in Jesus, and now he says, guess what? You get to be the sower. You get to go scatter gospel seed. You get to go share Jesus with a desperate world that desperately needs him. And here's what I want you to know, okay? You are called to faithfulness. When Jesus says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. That is not a suggestion. He is saying, if you follow me, I'm inviting you into this kingdom mission of setting this world ablaze for the kingdom of God. But, here's the deal. You can't change hearts. Paul talks about this in Corinthians. He says, I planted the seed, Apollos, another one of his dudes, Apollos watered the seed. Who caused the growth? God. And so as you go and as you faithfully sow seed, I want you to know this. All you're called to do is be faithful. All right? You cannot change someone's heart, but God can. And if we would be faithful people that say, man, the least I can do is scatter a ton of seed on my campus. No matter who I meet, no matter what class I'm in, if I would just be faithful to say, can I tell you the best news I've ever heard in my life? Can I tell you about how my life changed? And then to speak Jesus into their life and to trust God. You can do amazing things through weak schmucks like me and through ordinary people like you. So I want to pray to that end, from the parable of the sower, that we would have this type of faith, the saving faith that bears incredible fruit in our life and lasts forever, that we would become fruitful followers of Jesus and faithful sowers of the gospel. So pray with me. God, you know where we're at tonight, and... I praise you that it's not up to me, it's not up to us to change the condition of our heart. Because man, in 2013, God, I am convinced that I was pavement. (laughs) I was hard-hearted. I wanted nothing to do with you because you commanded me to live differently. But God, you woke me up, you tilled the soil of my heart, and you spoke truth where I desperately needed it to understand that you don't just need me to achieve for you. You don't need me to earn my way to you. That's such an achievement mindset. I just wanted people to be proud of me, and yet, God, you spoke to the depths of my heart, and you said, I am proud of you because you are my son. And that truth set me free. And so I pray tonight, God, that 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 gospel, the good news, Jesus, that while we were enemies, while we were far off from you, you came near, you died, you rose again, 
so that we could be called your children. And from the overflow of you being buried and being the seed that dies so that we could experience life, I pray that we would bear incredible fruit in our lives and on our campuses, not just for today or tomorrow, but for the rest of our lives. So from this place, God, would you be raising up Christ followers who serve you, King Jesus, for a lifetime? It's in your name we pray.